Hello and welcome to episode two of Unstoppable, where we are diving deeply into a conversation with Lisa Messenger. She's been dubbed the entrepreneur of entrepreneurs. She is actually the founder of Publishing House Messenger Group and the entrepreneurial publication The Collective Hub. Her purpose in life is to ignite human potential, but what happens when everyone around you is doing it the wrong way? In this episode, we're going to be talking about the making and the breaking of The Collective Hub and her entire journey as an entrepreneur, and it is incredible, whether you're male or female. Whether you are big or small, no matter what your creed or your background, you are going to love how we explore how important it is to believe in your purpose and trust in yourself, but also know when the time is right to let go. Enjoy this one. It is an incredible journey of entrepreneurial spirit. Listen up. Oh my God, this is a great pleasure and incredible honor. (laughs) Welcome, Lisa Metzinger. Thank you for coming down. It is so good to be here. It's been a while, too long. Too long. It's been over 10 years. That is crazy. Yeah. I just walked in here and I got like the warmest welcome I think I've ever had. Your team are Aww. freaking awesome. They're amazing. Like they're, they they give everyone a nice big friendly hug. You've got all your books here. Oh my God, look at you. You're stunning. Well, that's a few of them. Oh, thank you. As I sit here in my gym clothes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bit of a scratch and sniff. Like we didn't have visual of this for some people watching, but it's kind of funny because Lisa came in here thinking, oh, I'm just going into a studio or a little office. We're doing a podcast with Kerwin. He's probably got like three people. And then she's walked in in a gym again. She's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> You know what, though? I'm all about, luckily, authenticity yeah. and raw and real and what you see is what you get and there is no hidden agenda. So no. this is me, what's and all. Yeah, that, get it out there. Gym gear and all. <laughs> Did you literally just go to the gym? Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> so I even smell good. Right, I love the scent. There's nothing like the smell of pheromones in the morning. Lisa, for those people who don't know who you are, like there are so many things that you can hang your hat on. But uh, how do you how do you answer that question when people say, "Oh, so what do you do?" I f- first of all, I fucking hate that question. Like when people say, "Oh, so what do you do?" But mm. when people say to you, "So what do you do?" Like how do you answer that? What do you say? Well. You know what's really interesting one that just took me back to probably some of the training we did together years ago oh and it's God. um yeah for me it all comes back to three words so igniting human potential mm-hmm. and that is as simple or as complex as anything gets and for me it's all about purpose and why and once um once I have that in my mind that's like the litmus test for everything so then the delivery mechanism almost becomes irrelevant, whether it's a print magazine and we can dig deeper into that yeah. or I'm writing books or doing a fabulous podcast with you or speaking or running workshops. So everything is about igniting human potential, essentially. Three words. Because you've, you've been involved in publishing for some time in some I way. Have. Publishing media. like Because you first came across my sphere of awareness with Chris Gray. Oh, you my You wrote goodness. his very first book. Yeah. This is going back... Freak me not. 13, it got to be 13 or 14 years 13 ago. 13 I mean. or 14 yeah. years ago, yeah. And then you almost, I think you started to write a book for another friend of mine. I think it was uh, from Pizzas, from Pizzas. He never oh ended up publishing gosh. Dean Cowley. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, he decided to become a, a less well-known entrepreneur. He chose the path of, of, uh, of anonymity. Yeah, this can be a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, sometimes it's easier to not wallow in our fucking failures when everyone is watching as we're learning with the social experiment. So, yeah, you've been in media publishing for a long time. You've got a, such an incredible range of skill sets. So I, I guess that's what you say with, you know, igniting human potential, like your delivery mechanism. You've been involved in, 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 in books. You've been involved in speaking. You've been involved in media. You've been involved in magazine. You, you, you launched a collective hub. Yeah. I mean, 
It's only kind of looking back that it all makes sense because as a um, in a linear fashion, my career makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I started as a horse riding instructor. Well, let's go there. <laughs> like literally, like, let's. let's start at the beginning. So, how, how, like, when was that? What age was that when you were a horse riding instructor? Like eighteen, left school, so left got school. on a plane, was a horse riding instructor Where in was England. This? England, England. Yeah, they hated it. Right. I was like way too much of a rookie cowboy for their nice finesse. So, where are you style. from in Australia? Where are your roots? Cooler. So it's in the middle of nowhere. It's um, seven and a half hours or so central west New South Wales. So you're country girl. Country girl. Grew up making wow. mud pies in the creek and riding motorbikes and horses. Holy shit. And so yeah. then age 18, you jump on a plane and you head yeah. over to Royal England. Royal England, yeah. To yes. start training horses. <laughs> what type Something of training like was this. that? You were, was it uh, equestrian or? I was, uh, I was working in an outdoor activity centre for kids. Okay. So um, actually it was so unregulated. I was not only teaching people to ride horses with no real experience, I was also um, teaching people to abseil and <laughs> shoot guns and all right. sorts of really safe stuff like that yeah, as nice an 18-year-old. <laughs> you know what? It was phenomenal though. I... Um, I met so many extraordinary people. I mean, that's a while ago now, but it kind of gave me a great base to travel all over the world from there. So, yeah, and good fun. And so how did you say, what was the next segue from there? Oh, my gosh, we're going back. Yeah, we're doing the timeline, baby. When I was three. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about your parents. (laughs) Oh, that's a whole other story. Uh, So from there, came back to Australia. Gosh, um, bumbled around. So worked in real estate for a while. Look, Okay, so here's something. As I said, nothing makes sense in chronological order. No one ever asked me these questions and they're all good. kind of ridiculous answers. Oh, but good. <laughs> oh, I thought you say ridiculous questions. Okay. No. Oh, they're the producers. <laughs> but I think I've been making it up my whole life when I think back. Like I isn't li- that, is that where your magic is? Yeah, Intuitively 100%. following where you're drawn. And here's the trick, which yeah. you know a little about. No one actually knows what they're doing any Most of the time. Of We're all making, making it up, up every day. Yeah. It's just those of us who have a bit more tenacity and get up and go that actually make it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I am. Um, they went to real estate sales. Yeah, no. So I went in. A friend of mine was like, "Oh, my mom's or my mom's boss is looking for someone to work in sales in real estate. They need someone to answer the phones for a day." So I was like, "Cool, I can do that." So I was answering the phones for a day for this job interview, and uh, at the end of the day, they were like, "You're quite cool. We'll give you the job." So I somehow accidentally <laughs> ended up in real estate, no experience, and then. From there, my bosses loved me and they wrote me this crazy reference about how great I was at sales. I was really a glorified secretary. And then I ended up going and working in hotels in sales. And again, I went for a job as this all feels so like irrelevant. No, it's they? not because <laughs> I think a lot of people can relate to like they're perhaps doing something right now, but they see something in the future that could be so different. They're like, how the fuck do I join the dots? Yeah. So I think this is really important. Well, here's the thing as well. I think through my 20s, I was kind of leading life according to other people's expectations. Yeah, Didn't right. really have any role models. So I was just bumbling along and kind of opportunities presented themselves and I kind of stuck my hand up and <clears throat> excuse me, and that's how it kind of accidentally evolved, but you know, all sorts of mess ups and train smashes through that time as well. <laughs> we can get onto that. <laughs> but yeah, so I ended up um, my bosses wrote me this great reference. I went for a job at the Gazebo Hotel at the in time. Brisbane? No, in Sydney, okay. in the Cross. And it was not as glamorous as it is now. And uh, I went for a job as like, 
I don't know, the lowest of the low. And they were like, you're so overqualified for this because my bosses had written me a great <laughs> reference. So I went into the sales department and I remember I was the sales coordinator on a typewriter. That shows my age. <laughs> wow. And mine. <laughs> yeah, I think someone, one person had a computer. And... Um, and this was interesting. I remember I was the sales coordinator and the sales executive was 32 and I was, I don't know, whatever I was, young. And she said to me, when you're my age, you might be able to be on 28 grand as well. And I was like, wow, 28 grand. I remember three weeks later, was a lot of money. Three weeks later she got fired and I went into the boss and I said I want her job and he said, Great. I said, I want to be sales executive. I went 28 grand. He said, okay, let's go. So I fast forwarded that bit about 10 <laughs> years or more. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, then kind of ended up in conference and event management. So working with speakers. So yeah, kind right. of ironic that I am now a speaker. A speaker I was yeah. on the other side of that for years. Um, yeah. And kind of on and on it went. Then I got into sponsorship. So I right. loved that side of it. I was doing the well, you know this well as well, selling kind of sponsorship for conferences and events. So working out who's a corporate sponsor, who will look after this, blah, blah, blah. Loved that, was very, very good at it, did the Robert Kiyosaki stuff and then right. um, started doing like Cirque du Soleil and the Wiggles and brokering big wow. multi-million dollar deals. And uh, and then I kind of got fired from that job. So what? <laughs> which was the best thing that ever happened. So, most often it is, yeah. I was a little punk rebel. I used to say to my boss all the time who loved me and we still have a great relationship relationship to this day, I used to say I want equity in this business. Now, I didn't even know what equity was. It just sounded cool. <laughs> sounded good. I saw it on Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. I, saw it, I saw it somewhere and this is cool and it was all about my ego. And he was like, you're not even close. But he was so kind and he said, take what you need, set up your own agency. So that was October, 22nd of October, 2001. I started my wow. own business as a sponsorship agency. Um, no kidding. So nearly 16 and a half, 17 years ago. Wow. And uh, – yeah, I haven't looked back. <laughs> wow. Well, I think you have looked back a couple of times because you had to write this shit down. <laughs> write this shit down. Yeah. I so have. how did you segue from sponsorship into media? So media is a loose term back then. It is a because, loose term. Um, yeah. Because I started – so I was the first three years of having my own business. I was kind of doing sponsorship and um, I, I'm in doing, the event space. I'm so doing you're big inverted commas now. Yeah. Um, integrated marketing agency. It was kind of me and you know a desk that was propped up with two telephone books and <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of over servicing and undercharging and being everything to yeah. everyone and couldn't work out how to scale. Didn't even know what the word scale meant. And you know I think that's what happens with a lot of people when they in startup mode and. I'm sure my clients, well, my clients loved me because I was giving them so much. And then about year three of that, I started getting resentful. I was like, this is kind of crazy. I'm doing all this stuff for everyone else and nothing for me. And I also hadn't really worked out who I was. And I was kind of bumbling along. I was drinking way too much, alienated my family, went through all sorts of personal stuff and decided to do some work on myself. And that was my accidental first foray into the world of publishing because, and we probably met around that time. I, um, I was kind of desperately unhappy, not because I'd met you. <laughs> no, so Results wait. may vary depending on the user. <laughs> uh, and I decided to write a book on happiness. 
And Was this so, your first book? Yeah, first book because I was so desperately unhappy. So I went around Australia and I asked people, what does happiness mean to you? And that was a fascinating process and I did a half-day self-publishing workshop and a half-day publishing workshop and I realised quickly and I think for anyone listening this is where the opportunity lies like I realised really quickly that the um, publishing industry as it stood then like what's that 2004 that was was very antiquated like a bit of a sausage factory and it took like 18 months to get published mm. and there was like one in four thousand unsolicited manuscripts actually make it to a publisher and all these statistics and so I thought the hell with it I'll do it myself and because I had been selling sponsorship and this is probably a really important thing don't listen for the um, differences listen to the parallels I guess yeah, right. I was like I'm going to take that knowledge about how to sell stuff across into this book so I looked at um, what corporates were spending money on inanimate objects like coffee mugs and squeegee balls and golf umbrellas and I was like well imagine if I could pre-sell a book on happiness that they could use to surprise delight you know do all sorts of different things with and I just started cold calling picking up the phone and like and this is how I've run all my businesses. What's the next lateral step? So I was like, okay, I ended up doing a deal with Mercedes. So people want, they want to incentivize test drive. So imagine if you go drive a car, you get this beautiful um, book on happiness as a result. Mm. So they bought a few thousand copies. And then um, Clinique had a perfume called Happy Hearts. And I was like, oh, imagine if I could kind of somehow tap into that. So it was like, buy a bottle of Happy Hearts, get a free copy of Happiness Is. So I did so many deals like that. And what a way to become a bestseller really quickly. Well, yeah. it sold 36,000 copies in the first 12 months. Wow. And I think at the time a bestseller was 5,000. Yeah. Just because, well, naivety can be a great thing. But I just thought differently. And I was like, I'm not going to go down this frustrating route of the status quo because everyone else says author. that's the way it happens. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I made a, a lot of money made a big difference in a lot of lives and then I was very happy <laughs> and that resulted accidentally in a publishing company right which was messenger publishing yes right and so yes. when when did you when did you formalize messenger uh, that was probably about 2005 I okay. think yeah and that was when you started was it working with experts in their field yes to start helping them become published authors yeah because I think you know that's the thing you put yourself out there as I did you have a bit of success accidentally often and uh, and then people started saying to me god can you do that for us and I was like I guess so so I literally just learned on the fly okay what do you need you need an editor, a proofreader, a designer, a printer, you know, land the books and, you know, help people to identify like-minded non-competing partners that they can actually sell copies in bulk to and not just rely on the traditional bookstore channels. And so, yeah, that's kind of what I started. Wow. And so when did the Collective Hub come ah. about? So is there is there a little middle bit there? There's a big there's, I think there's that's like a ten year middle bit. There's a ten or year middle bit. Middle bit yeah. Where I think um yeah, like we kind of we're, I, I know we're in the same circles, but I kind of like lost touch in terms of with where you were and what you were doing. Uh, and then it was uh, was it 2013 you launched Collective Hub? It was. Oh, there you go from memory. Yeah. And it was in 2013 where you was like, wow, Lisa's back on the scene again. I so what happened between it. 2005 and 2013? So I I kept publishing and you alluded to Chris Gray before yep. and that was one of the most phenomenal. I mean, he 
what I will what say guy, about eh? that is, um, you know, I always said, don't think $30 book, think $30,000 client, right? Yep. And Chris, I think we printed something like 90,000 copies of his book. We just kept hitting print on 10,000 copies at a time. Chris has never sold a copy of his book. So we gave them away and that was like the most phenomenal strategy. And just, you know, if you're like, if you're at a charity event or a business event, as you know, if you say to people, um, can we put a brochure in your goodie bags? I'll be like, get serious. It's not going to happen. Can we put a book in your goodie bags? Sure, let's do it. I've never seen a brand explode so quickly as his did as a result of that book. So that was phenomenal. So I did that for people for probably, gosh, nearly nine years. So I met phenomenal thought leaders, amazing people during that time, had some, you know, success, was definitely um, very... Uh, you know, had a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. But I was bored out of my brain, you know, right. and I was comfortable. And I had I couldn't grow for more than three staff. Like, um, so it wasn't, I wasn't scaling. I couldn't work out how to build extensions or different revenue streams. And I thought comfortable is not a good place to be. So in, it was... 2012, I walked into my three staff and I said, I think we should start a magazine, (laughs) which my only logic was I'm surrounded with all these extraordinary thought leaders, you know, Mm. in quite a one dimensional way, working with one on one producing books. And I was like, well, why don't I kind of smoosh them all together and put them into um, a magazine because I knew how to do print. And I was like, that seems like the next logical thing to do. I mean, it's completely illogical, of course, because I'd never worked in media or magazines. My three staff all under the age of 25 had never worked for media or magazines. Um, it was a highly saturated market, five and a half thousand print magazines already in the Australian market alone. And people said it was dead or dying. And yeah, so no money, no experience, no no idea what we were doing. Highly saturated market that's dead or dying. Awesome place to start. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get any like um, you know, naysayers coming and saying, well, what the fuck are you doing? Like media is dying. It's all going digital. I did. Because so that to me was half the opportunity because there were a lot of people oh, who were I moving I freaking love print. it. I love – so I just said all that like it should have all been stacked against me. Yeah. I, I get shivers all over my entire body when I go that is where the opportunity lies because there's obviously a market there and there's people like closing left, right and centre. So again, I don't ever, ever, ever look at the industry I'm in. I look outside the industry and because I'd been selling sponsorship and doing these deals for such a long time and thinking differently – I was just like, boom, let's go. And as well, naivety was a great thing. I mean, I had some business acumen and smarts by then. I'd failed a lot, you know, but failed fast. And so, Which is often where the business acumen comes from. Yeah, uh, 100%. And so I just went for it and I just got on the phone. I started telling people. And also, you know, I was frustrated and pissed off. And I think that's a freaking awesome place to be. People often say, God, I can't start a business because like I'm going through a divorce or I'm having no money or I'm whatever it is. I'm like, awesome. Use that to fuel you. And I did. You know, there was nothing out there um, that was for entrepreneurs and startups and that was gritty and business and the story behind the story and was relatable and attainable. And I was sick of reading about these awesome people and how fabulous they are. And I was always like, but why, but why, but how, but how, how did they fund it? What's the supply chain? Where, you know, how do they make that? Where do they distribute it? So I had so many burning questions as an entrepreneur and I know so many people around me did. So I was like, God damn it, I'll bring all these people I know together to answer these questions. And so it was kind of 
born. Wow. And then it got very, very big, very, 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 very quickly. <laughs> what did you end up getting into distribution in? What did I end up what? Getting Your distribution. How do you measure this? Oh. Uh, let me ask the better okay. question. How do you measure the success of a magazine? No. So let me tell you what happened. And I mean, gosh, we could be here for hours and days and <laughs> I've written six books in five years. So there's a lot to talk about. Um, so what happened was I launched – well, actually, I'm going to go back back. Yeah, please. Because I'd been selling books in bulk, I just thought this would be a B2B, so business-to-business yep. play. And I thought I would do something similar with the magazine. So – I had 79 calls or meetings and I had 79 no's. Everyone was like, you've got no experience in this. Who are you? It's dead. It's dying. To... Number 80 was with Commonwealth Bank and I've never borrowed a single cent from a bank in my life other than mortgages but not for business. Um, and Commonwealth Bank, I <coughs> said to them, I had to work out what are my saleable tangible assets. Well, I guess I can speak. I'm going to have a product so you can have copies of that. So I pre-sold to them um, 5,000 copies of the mag for the first four issues. Um, So they gave me 50 grand a pop. So everyone else is out there selling flat ads on a page for 10 grand, discount it to 5 grand, you know, whatever. And I did – my very first deal was $200,000 eight months out from launch. Um, And, you know – it's irrelevant if it was $20 or $200,000 or $2 million. The yeah. fact is I had that external validation. Someone outside of me said yes. And I was like, okay, God damn it, I'm going to do this thing. Um, so that's how it started. So as a B2B play. But then someone was like, oh, you should meet with a distributor. And there were two in Australia at the time, Gordon and Gotch and I don't even remember. The other one's gone under. <laughs> anyway, Gordon, they were both falling over themselves. We want this in news agencies. And I was like, holy dooly, I don't know anything about news agencies. So I launched into 3,506 news agencies, um, into every news link in WH Smith, and it takes a long time to get ranged into those. I had crazy meetings with them. Newslink took me ages to get a meeting and eventually they were like, um, no, you're an unknown. You know, there was Bauer, Pack Mags and Newslife Media. Each of them had about 80 mags in their stable. I had one that did not yet exist. <laughs> and they were like, no, we're not ranging that. And then eventually this guy, Shane, said, oh, all right, we'll give you a shot. It's going to be something like $4,000 a week to have it displayed in Newslink. And I was like, but I have no money. <laughs> and I said to him, I will guarantee you profit. And he said, I have never heard anything so ridiculous in my life. We'll give you a shot. And from there, it went nuts. Um, So 3,506 news agencies, every news link, WH Smith, um, Qantas, Virgin, Singapore Airlines, Lounge in Australia. And then within within 18 months, 37 countries. (sighs) So it it grew fast. And um, yeah, and that was... What was the print run like? Kind of big. Yeah, I can imagine. That's freaking (laughs) huge. Yeah. But so it's, and you, and again, the model is not at this point. You're not you're still not selling advertising at this point. Or at this point, I'm selling advertising, yeah. but I'm trying to sell bigger deals because right. the the print mag cost me three hundred and fifty thousand dollars an issue initially. Yep. Okay. Nuts. A lot of money. Um, big print runs and yeah, a lot going on. And what happened around that was if I was selling ads at ten grand a page, it would have what's that? My math isn't great, but thirty five ads an issue. Yep. And there's no way. I'm still have a team of three. So I was doing way different deals, like bigger deals. So I was breaking every rule. When people said it can't be done, no one's ever done that. I was doing deals of like 
I did one deal with an automotive company for 350 grand and I was like, what are my saleable tangible assets? Can we drop something onto social? Can we take it through the print mag? Can we digitize it? Can we run an event? Can we do some kind of competition? So um, yeah, I just pulled out all my marketing smarts and you know started to do deals because I had to hustle my ass off to That's make incredible. the thing fly. It was incredible until it wasn't, and we can get on to that. <laughs> well, yeah, like what happened? Um, so, I mean, it's still incredible. I feel more on purpose than ever, but people have said to me recently, what's the best thing you've ever done? You actually done? look the best I've seen you in years, by the way. Like, you we haven't seen you in years. No, but I've, I've been following, I've been watching, you know, and, and I look at you now, I'm like, wow, there's a lightness about you, there's a shine about you. I feel great and I feel stronger than yeah. I've ever felt. And uh, we can, let's go forward, but then we can go back into sure. any part of the journey you want. But uh, this, <coughs> excuse me, this year I decided to break it. So five years um, to the date and 52 issues of the print mag, I decided to break the very thing that I started and the thing that I loved more than anything. And so starting it's the most courageous thing I've ever done, but also having the courage to break it is the most courageous thing I've ever done. And I freaking love that because when you start, <coughs> excuse me, when you start something, you know, and I was a little punk rebel and we've talked about a little bit of, well, I've talked a little bit about that. <laughs> I'm listening. You can't get I'm a hanging word in, on every word. You can't get a word in edgeways. You know, it's fun when you're um, going into a highly saturated market and you're breaking every rule known to mankind, mostly because you don't know they exist. But again, Five years down the track, 52 issues, I know how to do a print mag. I've met the most extraordinary people on the planet through that. I mean, it has been an amazing tool. But I actually grew too fast. And what I would say is bigger is not better. So this time last year I had 32 full-time staff, um, nearly $3 million in wages alone. Um, and then I had 80-plus freelancers working for me all around the world. And um, it became, well, totally unsustainable. And uh, I didn't have the right to IC with that high growth and I think what's important to remember is what type of person you are and I am bloody brilliant at <laughs> being a visionary, um, a strategist, I can see things before they exist, I love creating, I love moving forward, I love breaking rules. I am shit, we're allowed to swear because you did before, Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. at operations, IT, HR, finance, systems, processes, kill me now. And so what happened was, you know, when there's something that's very fat and it was um, – it was, it, yeah, it wasn't working. I had six direct reports. They were all kind of saying the same thing to me. So it was inefficient. And because it had grown so quickly, I had to kind of undo that and wind out of it. And so I found that I was in um, survival mode every day. And as a creative and a creator, there's no freaking way I can be a good leader and run a you know, grow a sustainable business when I'm in that mode. So I made a very brave decision, um, which took a lot of guts and strength and crying on the bathroom floor <laughs> unceremoniously, um, to go, I need to break this. And Farah, I'm so glad that I went there and I'm so glad I scaled I'm so like quickly. hanging on with mad anticipation oh, right now. About now. When you say break this, because you said that the first time like seven <laughs> minutes ago and I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I've just finished the last episode lost. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Oh, what do you want to know? What did I break? How did you break it? <laughs> what happened? Um, so I decided to 
closed the print mag yep. and I decided to wind out essentially, which meant making all of my team redundant. Let me tell anyone listening, everyone's like, how do you start a business? It's so hard to come up with an idea. Let me give you a red hot tip. It's a lot harder to wind out. Of one. <laughs> it's a lot harder to shut it down than it is to start one. But um, it's freaking amazing. So uh, I only shut it down a few months ago. I've now, so it's very expensive, made all my staff redundant. Um, I have about 16 of them working for me now, but they're all freelance. Yep. And um working as consultants. So I am trying to flip the entire model and go when things are moving so rapidly and, you know, um, markets and are evolving so quickly, I want people who can be on a project-by-project basis. I want um, specialists, not generalists. I want everything to go back to having its – to being data-driven and having its own KPIs and budgets and just getting back to, like, running something really sustainably. So I think my output in the next year will be, like – probably five or six times what I was doing with the collective when I had that big fat staff. So, yeah, so painful lessons. But look, for anyone listening, I think, you know, one of the most courageous things you can ever do because we see so many businesses that just um, labour on and labour on and they start and they're cool and suddenly they're fat and um, they've got too many expenses and overheads and everything else and suddenly it's not fun anymore mm. but they hang on because of ego or whatever it is, their identity's wrapped up in it and let me tell you, owning a print mag is actually freaking sexy. You know, everyone wants to invite you to everything <laughs> all over the world so I had to be very yeah, secure right. in myself to go, you know what, I believe wholeheartedly in everything, every single cell in my body that I was put on this earth to um, ignite human potential and why be stuck to the delivery mechanism why be afraid to break it and Mm. why not just buy myself time and space to grow again so i'm freaking pumped you are (laughs) you again you there's an electric energy in the studio so are you now what's the delivery mechanism now is collective hub morphing or is it like where are we at well you know what what's the product I don't know. I'm all about surrender and I don't feel like I need to know and have all the answers right now. What I'm doing after 16 and a half years of, like there hasn't been a day in 16 and a half years without a physical office and staff that I I report to every day in a way. Um, I'm actually taking some time to kind of educate myself. You know, I turn up to all these speaking gigs, I jump on stage and I leave. I actually want to just sit and listen and absorb Mm. and um, just educate myself because I think what's next is so far out here and by here I mean I'm reaching my right arm right, right out because, you know, when I got into print in terms of the mag only five years ago and everyone said you're on crack, you know, it's dead or dying, that was probably the smartest thing I ever did. I watched everyone, all the traditional media moving across to digital and I was like that's interesting but then with Google and you know Facebook taking a lot of the ad dollars Huffington Post has closed like I'm watching a lot of closures in that space Mm. um so I'm kind of looking at you know AI and robotics and like stuff like right out there really trying to get like ahead 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 but also in the meantime You know, probably the reason I haven't seen you is I've been so, and you as well, I've been so freaking busy doing the do. And now Mm. it's like if you and I say let's have a coffee, let's like riff and actually come up with something together. It's like, cool, I I have the time and space and bandwidth to do that now. Beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) It's a question. How come you didn't sell? 
Ah, so that is in my next book, Risk and Resilience. <laughs> so um, which I've, which is very, very honest and I talk figures and I talk everything. So um, what are we in now? So eight months ago I engaged an M&A firm, so mergers and acquisitions, to actually take it to the market and look at either a straight exit or look at investment. And uh, the reality is is that there weren't a lot of buyers. There are a lot of people who wanted to back me and mm. they're like, oh, whatever it is that you're doing next, we are there. But, you know, I think for many reasons, um, I definitely didn't want investors in the first two or three years. Like I really needed to push some boundaries and go hard myself and be uninhi- uninhibited. Um, I reckon I was about a year or so late to the party. I should have gone a year earlier. Yep. So great learning there. Yep. Um, were you the, getting some some exit sniff, some people some buyers sniffing around? Yeah, so there was one very big media player in this country, Australia, <laughs> that um, made me an offer of several million dollars. But, and this is a big but, and I really hope people take something from this. Um, they wanted me for three years, and it would have sapped every part sapped of my entire of soul. And yeah. you know, let's call that figure ten million dollars. I don't care about the money if I'm going to be stuffed in a corner. And their words to me were, oh, we can find somewhere to fit you in kind of thing. And I was like, (laughs) I've just had such an awesome journey and I've lost some money along the way, but no amount of money on the planet could buy my soul. Mm. If it was, and I had discussions with um, Uber, Airbnb, WeWork, people like that, even Facebook actually, who I've got extraordinary relationships with through the collective journey. If I could have done something um, like a merger or an, even an acquisition with one of those guys, which would have helped me to scale and it would have been kind of a sexy thing to plug mm. into one of those kind yep. of businesses, then I would have looked at it. But, you know, it comes back to I have enough confidence in myself to go – I still own it, whatever it is, and we've got such a huge, loyal, engaged community. So I can kind of turn that on and turn it off when I want to. And in fact, I just told one of your team, who's the first person to know, I think, um, on the 29th of November, I'm bringing back a print issue of the mag just because I can now. So I'll just do a few of them a year because actually – it's easy to do. People love it. I know how to do it with my eyes closed. It's like takes none of my time. So I can play with a few things like that. But um, yeah, so it's nice to learning the brand. You're amazing. Honestly, the journey that you've been on. You know, <laughs> it's a crazy ass journey. But I is. hope I can, by sort of living my life out loud and yep. being really honest. Um, Authentic. I th- yeah, I, yeah, I hope I can help other people to go, it's okay. Like as long as you're still on purpose or whatever it is, like, break stuff or um, bury your ego or just, you know, keep moving forward as long as it feels right for you. There's so much more in the world than... You know, it's interesting when the moment you walked in the room in, in the office, like literally all of the team, which is 80% of them are female, they just went gooey bananas. <laughs> um, like for real, like they're still probably out there fucking going gooey bananas right now. But what I find really interesting is, you know, you're often used as the pinup of, you know, the female entrepreneur movement. You know, as, you know, you, you might have had a lot of female entrepreneurs, but I think it's also fair to say that you've had quite an impact on male entrepreneurs as I well. I hope so. No, you have, because you know, Thank you've you. obviously you've inspired me. I've always, you know, uh, although I haven't followed the journey all the way along, mm. you have always. I've never heard a bad word ever said about you. I've only ever heard great things said about you. And every time I've looked at whatever you're doing, especially when the collective came out, I was like, literally, I was like. 
wow, that's ballsy. Like, I was like, wow, that's ballsy. And then next thing I know, you're in 37 fucking countries around the world. I'm like, how the fuck did she do that? Like, clearly you're doing something right. And so, you know, there's an enormous amount of grit and resilience that's required to succeed in any business, but especially in the print business. Mm. You know, at the level that you did as quickly as what you did, but what I want to look at now is the entrepreneurial journey, mm. you know, because whether you're a fucking, you know, a, um, uh, you know, a carpenter baker or a candlestick maker, you know, we, the, we all have our it's own. It's the same journey. Uh, you know, it's so funny because we work, you mm. know, in 152 different industries, 11 countries around the world, and people are often shocked when I say, you're all the fucking same. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. You're desperate yeah. egoically to be different. And from a marketing and positioning perspective, that's often important. Yeah. But fundamentally, mm. as a business, we're all exactly the same. Mm. So... Do you want to talk about the entrepreneurial journey? Oh my God, let's, because (laughs) we can talk for hours because in Collective in five years, we interviewed, I think, over... 6,000 people. Did we interview you? No. Holy joy. Right. Okay, I take it. You can be on the November one. <laughs> I think you were dating my competitor at the time. Let's just. <laughs> ah, no, I'm kidding. Ah. Maybe. I'm not sure. But, uh, I wasn't on your Which radar. Which one? There's been some. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I had to like segue out of that. <laughs> That's gold. That's, it could be anyone. There's so many to choose from. Oh, where do we even start? My God. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yes, so in five years we've interviewed, yeah, over 6,000. And it's so funny that you say that because it's pretty much the same journey. It's like, oh, my God, I've got an idea. Oh, my God, I'm going to lose all my money. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow, someone saved me. Woohoo, did this. Oh, my God, I'm dying. Oh, my God. (laughs) When people say business is a roller coaster ride, they literally don't understand it is up, it is down. It is up, it is down. It is up, it is down. Yeah. But I'm curious to know from you, like, especially – and again, I don't like ever bringing sex into it because I think, you know, there are obviously there are advantages and disadvantages on either side of the platform. Yeah. Um, you know, it's probably fair to say that women have to work harder. They have to try harder. They have to think smarter. have to think sharper for whatever reasons. But what I'm curious to know from your perspective is, like, what has one of the, been one of the biggest challenges that you've come up against as an entrepreneur, whether it be female or just, you know, unisex, um, that you've gone, fuck, I'm not sure I can get out of this. And, 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 and walk me through the thought process. Because I think what a lot of people don't realise is well, people say, well, just do this. Well, it's hard to just do that when I can't even get out of bed as oh, an example. Yeah. Uh, can we do two parts of this Go question? Because the first bit is about the female thing. Yep. And I'm going to be really counterintuitive to what you probably think I'm going to say. Um, I, in 16 and a half years of business, never, ever, not once in my entire life have I felt less than because I'm a female. Oh, so and so I that. love that you started with that because yep. so many people – want to um, use me as the pinup girl for women, you know, yeah. empowerment. And I'm like, let's just remove that conversation because whilst I understand it's, um, you know, it is the truth for many people working in corporate and all sorts of other things, that is not my experience and I can only talk from my experience. And so what I always urge people to do is um, just ask yourself this simple question, am I using the fact that I'm a woman as a fear-based excuse or a way to keep myself small mm. or self-sabotage or is that actually true for you? And if it is true for you, then why <laughs> is it? You know, I just, um, I'm human. I walk into a meeting, I do my thing and I love business and I love what I do and I've just never, it's just a non-thing for me. Okay, we've done that. What was the next bit? <laughs> What's the <laughs> biggest challenge that you've come up against? I'm, I'm, I'm going to dig into the entrepreneurial yeah. psychology. Like biggest challenge where you're like, fuck, I'm not sure I can get through this. So this many yep. every day. And the funny thing is, and you would come across this because this is the entrepreneurial journey. It's like people go, wow, your life's so amazing now. Must, I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. But what happened pre-collective in the 11 years prior of having my own businesses 
business was maybe one awesome thing happened every six months and then one horrible thing happened every, every six day. months. <laughs> but now it's oh yeah, yeah. That. but then it's like now, you know, every three minutes something freaking awesome happens and something challenging happens. And so you just got to – well, I have learnt the tools and my triggers and how to deal with that because mm. – and, you know, because we can't control what comes at us but we can control how we respond to it. And I think that's really, really important. And I think from experience it's really important to harness and finesse those tools and tap into them when things are good. So when the when the going gets tough, we're ready to go, right, I've got the resilience to actually deal with this. So my toughest times definitely were – the last 18 months, not the last three, like, okay, pr- prior to three months ago, um, because I scaled too quickly. Yeah. I didn't have the right people around me. Um, yeah, uh, too many revenue streams and it was just too big. And suddenly I had a very big responsibility. So on one hand, I had this freaking extraordinary brand that everyone's loving and are so engaged in and that was great on the other hand internally I'm bleeding and yeah the you know every day you've got to get up and be a leader and face up and you know I'd go to go home and like literally (laughs) be on the bathroom floor like sobbing and then I'd like just you know eat a big bucket of cement get up again go and just do it but it's not a fun place to be you know on one hand People like Richard Branson, I'm, you know, spending a lot of time with him and a winter off, flew me to New York 18 months in, you know, the doyen of Vogue and Condé Nast. I'm Jamie Oliver. I'm having all these big, amazing thought leadership meetings. And then on the other hand, I'm on the phone to media agencies trying to sell my soul for like, you know, kids who are 19, uh, I'm trying to sell them an ad for 10 grand and they're trying to beat me down to three grand. I'm like, this isn't fun anymore. But, you know, I had to end up dialing for dollars and just trying to hustle my ass off because once you're in it, you're in it. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people think, oh, you know, they can relate to the being on the bathroom floor, you know, yeah, sobbing yeah. yourself to sleep. But what I'm curious to know, because you've got quite a high level of self-awareness, I'm curious to know what was the process you took? Because people say, well, you know, have a teaspoon of cement and harden up and yeah, get yeah. back in the ring. <laughs> That's easy to say, but I'm curious to know what level of awareness you have around the conversations you had with yourself in those moments where you're like, fuck, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to make this run. I don't know how I'm going to pay next next month's print run or whatever it was. Yeah. But you literally convinced yourself not only to get up, not only to put your clothes on, yeah. okay, make sure the right the right leg was in the right pant. Not always. <laughs> not always. <laughs> yeah, we're actually, that was, I read about it in my book. That was, that was actually an entire week where my boyfriend went overseas it was all falling apart I think I, I like didn't change my clothes I just wore one pair of his boxer shorts and his t-shirt for like a week to work <laughs> and everyone was like wow you got that on again and I was this like to work I was like just can't think at the moment just gotta do the stuff <laughs> decision fatigue fewer the better boxes t-shirt smells like safety I'm good <laughs> um okay so Thought processes. Thought process. Because like a lot of people, I think they, they often look at, well, what, did, what, what, what did you do? But I'm a big believer that the thoughts underpin what we do. Yeah. And if we try and do, if we're not thinking the right way, the doing will stop. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to purpose. Yep. Um, so literally, as I said, so collective, three words, igniting human potential. Lisa Messenger, I talk about myself in third person, is to be an entrepreneur for She's not bad. She's pretty cool. Thank you. Living my life out loud, showing that anything's possible. So those are the things every single morning I go, what's my why? So for me, I think the biggest thing that kind of 
scraped me off the floor and kept me going was I made it about something much bigger than me. Like this isn't about me. This isn't about my own pity party. This isn't my ego. This is about – It's not about money. Not about money. Could not care less about money for money's sake. Care a lot about money for freedom and choice and the ability to um, move forward. (laughs) It's important in that regard. But I just thought, my God – the people who are supporting us, the community we've created, the people who are out there going, if she can do it, we can do it. And, you know, I was like, far out, get your ass off that floor. So I think what's really important, if if I made it just about me, I would have fallen in a heap and I wouldn't have been able mm. to keep going. But I was like, I have made this my life's journey. This is my life's work to actually be of service to other people and to um, – live my life out loud, whatever the hell's going on. And so suddenly I can remove myself from the situation and just go, just get through this. And also the nice thing about it is when I – people laugh. They're like – people who are close to me, they're like, I'm like, oh, this will make good material for a book. <laughs> so I've <laughs> – so I've, I've, so whatever it is, that's how I manage to flip my mindset. So rather than going, God, this is bad, I'm like – Wow, this is a freaking awesome lesson. God, it's that's going to make a chapter. We're the same here. When the <laughs> shit hits the like, this will be a good episode. Yeah, same thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so I'm not saying everyone listening is going to be a content creator or write books or do the social mm-hmm. experiment or anything like that. But it's like what can, how can you use this as fuel um, to keep, you know, m- propelling you forward? And I guess, yeah, that's it in a way for me. I'm like, well, this is when I'm in the shit. I'm, I'm in the shit but I also have the ability to then teach to how to get out of the shit. Yep. So I'm like, okay, i got to get myself out of this so I can teach other people how to get out of this. Nice, so nice kind nice. of – is that, that – so that's kind of where my mind goes yep. a little bit. And then it becomes almost a game. If you gamify things, I think it's like, okay, this is cool. Okay, I am in a maze and this is really shitty and i got to get myself out of here now. How am I going to do this? Ah, there you go. There's the door. Ah, yes, now I can write about it. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea there were so many parallels between us. That sounds quite trippy, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, but it's so true. Like I'm very much the same. Like I'm very much about gamifying the situation. It's a game, okay? Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, around fear, the thing is, and thank you for your kind words before where you said you hadn't heard a bad word about me. I think hopefully because – um, I keep myself accountable and very much whatever happens behind closed doors or how I treat people one-on-one or whatever, I I act as if the whole world is kind of watching and that's, you know, and that's how I try and live my life. And also if I fuck up, which I do quite often, I talk about it and I try and own it and, you know, again, I write about it. So I think it's when people like try and hide stuff mm. or quash it or squash it down and they're ashamed of it. But if I own it and share it authentically it's like well what can hurt me now you know if 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 there's nothing that's the thing if everything's out there there's nothing to hide from yeah exactly and what's interesting is you know because I, I have read you know some some excerpts from some of you actually last time i was in byron bay it was the last holiday i had before i, I separated with my wife uh-huh. i literally spent half an hour in the crystal shop in byron bay uh-huh. <laughs> reading the first i think four chapters of one of your books uh-huh. And uh, it was really interesting because there was a lot of parallels going on there. Was it breakups and breakthroughs? Yes, yeah. <laughs> it certainly was. It certainly was. I was on the cusp of my own. Um, but one of the things that I want to I want to go back to um, was purpose. Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer that you know one of the things because I'm mad when it comes to behavioral psychology and, and and just behavioral science. And one of the things mm. that you know um, Dan Pink. You know, I'm sure you've heard of Dan mm. Pink. He, you know 
basically brought together a lot of research from everyone from, you know, Carol Dweck and Chick Me Sent Me High. And one of the things that he talks about in the book Drive, the, the surprising truth about what really motivates us mm. is that when people focus on money, mm. they're eight times more likely to engage in deceit, deception and fraud-related behaviours. Ah. You know, and seven times more likely to experience stress-related illness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's really interesting, I find the entrepreneurs that I work with, the ones that find it most challenging psychologically to move forward when things are going tough yeah. is because their focus is on money. Yeah. But what I've also discovered is the ones that focus on purpose. Yeah. And I know I'll, I'll speak for myself personally. You know, business is one of those things where the only thing you're guaranteed is, you know, taxes and chaos. Yeah. You know that you're going to have a big tax bill at the end of the year if you do well. Yeah. No matter how good you do, you're going to get a big tax bill. Yeah. Uh, and there's going to be chaos. Yeah. And, but what I've discovered is in the midst of chaos, everybody needs something that they can reach out and hold on to that's not moving. Yeah. That grounds us yes. and provides a level of support and certainty. And sometimes it's not available in, in, in another person. Yeah. You know, and I, f- I found for me, and that's why I really resonate with what you're saying when you're referring to the bathroom floor <laughs> incident, is <laughs> purpose. And I think that's yeah. one of the greatest discoveries that we can make for ourselves is w- the reason that we are actually here. Yeah, absolutely. How did you find yours? Ah, well, see the book in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting. Her latest book, Purpose, <laughs> Find Your Why. And Find Your Why and the How Will Look After Itself. Mm. Is this your latest book? Uh, that one is my latest book before Risk and Resilience comes out shortly. So, yeah, and I mean, it, it feels like quite an arrogant thing to write a book called Purpose. However, all my books I write, as you would know, from layman's terms and I'm like I only write from my experience and generally I come up with a topic and then I step into it. So, you know, a lot of people become the guru of something and then they write a book about it. I decide that I want to expand my own thinking and, you know, learnings and um, and I'm a seeker and so I'll come up with a topic and then I'll step into it. Um, so many things. I think purpose for me, well, let's talk about other people. I think it can be a few things. So if you start to listen to people outside of you saying, wow, you're really good at that or, and it can be the most simple things like, um, cooking or whatever it is. And you start to hear that external validation. Wow, you're great at that. You're great at that. And eventually you put two and two together and you're like, wow, I'm really good at that. And I freaking love it. And maybe there's some commercial side of that. So that can be one thing. Um, another is, I think, as I mentioned before, being really pissed off or agitated or like just I think that is one of the best places to find your purpose because it's like whatever's boiling up inside you, it's like this is driving me freaking nuts and you want to, from that, you're propelled to actually make a change in the world and I think that's where a great driving purpose comes from. Um, Adversity, I mean, I've been through a lot, divorce and breakups and alienating my family and giving up drinking and all sorts of other things and um, before I gave up drinking in 2004, my life was not pretty at all. Like it was really spiraling out of control and I could have really quite easily drunk myself to death or anyway, let's not get too somber. It was pretty bad. And I made a decision in 2004, like um, I got some help and then I was like far out. I made a very conscious decision. It was actually the 8th of November 2004. I am not going to live my life like that anymore. I am actually going to step into joy and I am going to, um, again, flip flip what's going on for me and I'm going to, rather than be an angry little fucker, I'm going to be like, well, how can I actually use this to help other people? How can I flip this on its head? And for me, purpose again became much 
bigger and much more than me. It became about being in service and actually using mm. myself as a conduit and flipping things that happened to me and turning them into a positive. And I, I honestly think that's one of your gifts is your ability to take your life experience and share it with others in a way where they go, oh, my God, she's just like me. Yes, thank you. Well, I feel so normal. Yeah, it's, you know, oh, I mean, well before Collective, I, yeah, I just think it's about being relatable and attainable mm. and particularly with social media these days you know it's all this especially like gosh I, it was funny I started the magazine and I just it completely skipped my mind that I would be an editor and suddenly I'd be sitting at like front row in runway shows and things like I just didn't even think because I wasn't from that world I was like I'm just starting a mag to bring all these amazing people together and inspire other people and this whole other world came with it and some of that can be quite you know narcissistic and um yeah, so I've lost my train of thought. It was a good one. <laughs> I mean, it was about being relatable. <laughs> <laughs> relatable. Or relatable yeah. and attainable. Because, yeah, because I realised that so well, social media, there's all this glitz and glamour and influences and celebrity and everything else. And I just think for me it's really important to have that authenticity piece. And for people to go, she's just like me. I've kind of become the pin-up child for she knows nothing about anything, you know, and something works. And that's kind of who I want to be. I want to show people that if you believe in yourself, if you are courageous enough to find what's holding you back, how you're self-sabotaging, you know, what your purpose is, what's your why, what juices you up and makes you want to jump out of bed every morning, then anyone can do anything. And I swear to God, the journey I've been on with Collective, I absolutely know in every single cell in my body that to be true, that any of us, if we're courageous enough, can do anything. Mm. Do you identify as an addict? Uh not now. I definitely identify, um, you know, like alcoholism was a, a major problem. And it's interesting because that's um, nearly 14 years ago that I gave up drinking. But yeah, absolutely. It was the unpredictable behavior associated with that. Um, that was a scary thing. Like it could be that I would just go out and, you know, um, have one drink, but then another night I might go out and binge drink. And I think um, Probably it was before I'd done any work on myself and I was using it as a crutch. And um, and also, you know, there's a lot of self-sabotage in there because I think I was a creative and I hadn't yet found an outlet. And I was, um, yeah, living life according to other people's expectations and hanging around the people that I'd always hung around. And they definitely weren't thought leaders. It's pretty hard they to were. stay sober if you hang around Chris Gray. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think when I met him, I was just like recently sober, and oh, it was fuck, like, "What? Sorry. You don't, you don't <laughs> drink?" I know, right? <laughs> but I'm the thing is, you adapt, right? Like any party, guaranteed, one hundred percent, I will be the first person on the table, and I will be the first person <laughs> dancing, like, <laughs> and you know, because that's my personality. Yeah. So, um, so people sometimes go, "Oh, well, you're so kind of normal now. Why wouldn't you just go back to drinking?" I'm like. Ugh, why would I risk that for one? Mm. And two, I don't miss it, you know. I think I'm naturally quite an outgoing, you know, um, self-confident kind of person and I don't really need that as a crutch or to prop me up anymore. Um, I was about to say something really bad. I would, uh, Do it. I will remember. Do it. Do it. because <laughs> you know, it wasn't true and that will be taken out of context. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the snippet for the promo. <laughs> <laughs> I have no filters. <laughs> <laughs> I guess why we get along so well. 
Um, you know, because I, I actually identify as an addict, and it took me a long time to get to that place because I was um, I was addicted to amphetamines when I was nineteen. Yeah, for right. For about twelve months, it just got into a bad scene. Yeah. Um, but then for the longest time, I, I saw addictive tendencies coming in and out of my life in different ways. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never yeah. so much through alcohol, cannabis, uh, yeah. and just behaviours, right? Yeah. And it wasn't until I, I really started to research and really try to understand, okay, well, what makes me different to other people? You know, why yeah, is it yeah. that some people can use a certain substance and they can, well, they can take a leave it and, and others like me, they can't. Yeah, yeah. And I actually just, like, it was actually one of the greatest personal development journeys that I've probably ever been on. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what work you've done. Have you done any work around the, the 12 steps or anything like that? Yeah, I have. Okay. D- did you find that work quite powerful from a oh, personal development perspective? Amazing. And I mean, I've dipped in and out of a lot of different modalities yep. um, from 12 steps, which I thought was phenomenal for so many reasons. Um, I think, and this is the funny thing, and I don't mean to cut you off, I apologise, but I actually think every person on the planet should go through the 12 steps. Regardless of you, you think you've got a, a problem or not, yeah. it is one of the most potent forms of personal development that I think I've ever discovered. I agree. And also one of the most grounding, humbling mm. experiences I um, I ever experienced because the, you know, in those rooms, every single person is equal. You know, it doesn't matter if you're... Ageless, nameless, rankless, blameless. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and that is a beautiful beautiful thing and that really humanized everything for me and I was like wow I'm just I'm a person you Mm. know um so that was really important and then um in 2004 I did something called the Hoffman process which is like an eight-day um cathartic highly intensive um program which is all around um you know from journaling to meditating to rebirthing to bashing a lot of stuff with baseball (laughs) bats and lots of rituals and burning things and like phenomenal trip you know that those eight days were what really really changed my life and then um I've done things called path of love I've um done it here and in Costa Rica, which was trippy, like the craziest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, I've been, I spent quite a lot of time in the Osho Meditation Center. It's on Netflix now. It's not a sex orgy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Although, take what you want. Yeah. Um, so I've done a lot and I'm also really open. Like whilst I'm not religious, if someone says, come to church with me, I'm like, cool, I'll go to church with you. If someone says, come try this sweat lodge in, you know, the Amazon with me, I'll be like, cool, let's go try that. So I've tried um, a lot of things and and having a slightly addictive personality, I'm also aware that um, I want to take from all of that what works for me mm. and I don't want to, I, choo- I consciously choose not to stick with one modality on an ongoing basis because then I can I think it can almost become cult-like and I what's the saying swap the witch for the bitch or whatever it is like I don't um I didn't get well to become a slave to another modality if that another makes form sense of behavior. Yeah, yeah but I'm fascinated god we could talk about and we need to do this off yeah. air as well <laughs> well we can do it on air but I am fascinated by human psychology and what makes us tick and I'm fascinated across all the different personal development and work that I've done now, like um, how much of it is similar but just with different flavours throughout. But Have you ever had the ayahuasca journey? No, I haven't. Yeah, but, incredible. Um, yeah, have you done it? Twice, yeah. Yeah, Amazing. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. Not for the faint-hearted. And yes. a lot of people when they hear ayahuasca, you know, they think, they think you know, hallucinogenic drugs. They think, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. you're going to go and party for 12 hours. 
it is one of the most um, highly uncomfortable journeys you'll ever go through, but yes. incredibly rewarding. Very, very. Like it's, it's obviously it's been actually used a lot in the treatment of alcoholism, uh, yeah. heroin addiction, amphetamine addiction, yeah, any yeah, form of addiction. Yeah. It's it's quite an interesting process. Yeah. If you ever get the opportunity, if it's something that calls you and she will tap you, you will let you she, you will know when yes. she calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's something yeah. incredible. Yes, uh, yes. We'll talk more about that later. <laughs> <laughs> she has tapped. She is she calling. Has, she's <laughs> tapping. She's tapping. She's got a booty. Out there somewhere. <laughs> so, uh, like, I know we've kind of already touched on it. So, what's next for Lisa? Like, you have, you know, you're this incredible being with, you know, who's so aware. You're so in touch with your your purpose, and you seem to be this fountain of potential that can literally just go. Well, I'm just going to wave my magic wand over here and, and see what magic I can create. Uh, are you still? Yeah. I, I get the sense you're still in the distillation process of what next robotics AI. But have you yeah. kind of got a bit of a feel for what's going to be next for you? Lisa's next. Lisa's <laughs> next. I like that. <laughs> you know, um, something through all of this journey, I think time and space—they're my words for the rest. Those two words for the rest of this year, because I think it's very easy to get busy and glorify being busy and actually what I have found is it's kind of in the stillness and connection where the gold comes and so and that's that is counterintuitive to a lot of people like you know in the position I'm in it's like oh my god broke a big thing you know um is there attachment ego identity you know what's next and I'm like well the thing is I have this innate knowing that I am meant to do very, 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 very big things. And I believe that the only way that's going to truly manifest is to just try and stop and be for a little while. Because if I start getting busy, busy, busy again, there's not the space to let that create, if that makes sense. But, um, yeah, unquestionably, like... Have you read anything of David Dieter? Yes. Why the Superior Man? That's so funny. I just bought my boyfriend last week that again because um, he hasn't read it. But, yeah, when I did Path of Love, that's like the whole, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, amazing. One of the things I like about what he says in that book is sometimes it's really important. And he references men, man, I I reference human. Mm. He says sometimes it's important when you don't know what your purpose is, is to create time, is to create space and to do nothing. Because if we're so busy doing something, we may not see when that something, that special something actually comes along that we're, that we're meant to pursue. Yeah, I'm really big on um, surrendering and detachment from outcome and I truly believe it's like from this space because I know what my purpose is and I know the you overarching know what, what I'm here yeah. to do, the right? The theme is clear. The theme is very, it is crystal clear. It will not delineate, I don't think, until the day I die. So, But the delivery mechanism, that's what excites me. It's like, well, let's let that drop in because there's so much opportunity, right? And I have so many amazing connections now. I'm, I'm just kind of, it'll, it'll come when it comes. Yeah. And it's coming. Let it be. <laughs> Greatest piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, so many. Don't eat yellow snow, but apart from the obvious. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. Mentors? Please. Um, mentors. I say that very purposefully because um, a lot of people say to me, who's your mentor? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have so many. Like in India, I have Raj, who is like the most grounded, centered. He's lived in this commune for 35 years. The guy cannot move. I have seen eight guys try and push him over and he's like, Wah. 
and he's like 73 or something. I don't know, however old he is. He's like, yeah, amazing. Um, so when when I need like a real grounding, he's the guy I call. And then like I've got on the other end um, this guy, Jeff, who has equity in 13 very big businesses. And I'll be like, Jeff, the shit's hit the fan. And he'll be like, don't worry, I just lost 170 million yesterday. <laughs> and he's like, boom, wah, grounding. <sighs> and then I've got like beautiful feminine energy people who I just need this like, oh, let's just like wrap me up in cotton wool. So there's so many different people from a life and business perspective that I surround myself with and I don't – that for me there's not one particular person. So, yeah, I have l- lessons coming at me from everywhere. So, yellow snow, let's just go with that for <laughs> now. <laughs> Fantastic. So, if people want to find out, you've got um, – you've just released Purpose, is that right? Uh, yes. And you've got uh, your next book which is called – Risk and Resilience. Risk and Resilience. It's, very, you've got great gr- headlines. it's very gritty. Very gritty, very nitty. Yeah. Where can people buy your books? Where are they? They're pretty much still in the bookstores at uh, the the real living bookstores of today. Yeah, real living bookstores. Also, Newslink always has, I don't know how, like all five books facing out mostly. (laughs) (laughs) This is the thing when you believe in yourself and you get your hustle on, it just happens. Um, Yeah, or collectivehub.com, there's a shop there as well. Fantastic. Lisa, honestly, this has been one of the most enjoyable interviews I've done. Incredible to reconnect. Yeah. Everything happens for reason at the right time thank you for having me amazing thank you there you have it guys thanks for tuning in to unstoppable with me your host Kerwin Ray and do me a favor don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes would love to hear what you think I love reading what you guys have to say and your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this if you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements please jump onto the website KerwinRay.com and also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray